cliffcentral.com. All right. Um, let's get to JJ Cornish. This is one of our favorite things about Tuesdays is we get to hear from the man about what's going on on the continent of Africa. And, of course, there's always a lot going on. It's time to catch up with J.J. Cornish in African Analysis. African Analysis is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, looking at what's happening around the continent. So, welcome, J.J. How are you? Bonjour. I'm immensely well, thanks. Labang, the reception cut out a bit. You spoke about a bit of fluff that has nothing to say. Were you talking about Liz Truss or or Ah, who exactly... ah. Is it weird? Pick up. You know, let me ask you about this, JJ, because you've been you've been a journalist for years, and you've been watching international relations go up and down and left and right. Has anyone cared this little? Has there ever been a time in modern British history where the where the the actual appointment of a prime minister was so uninteresting and unimportant that it barely made a blip on the news? No one cares. Mm. I, I think I think Britain has got to the stage where their prime minister will appear in those group pictures of things, but their prime minister will appear sort of on the left-hand side of the back row. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is where Britain is is going to. I, I'm very sad to see that happen, but uh, I don't know what that's going to do for a country that's already, you know, quite sadly in decline. Ah, too bad. Well, it is too bad. But, I mean, you know, we, we bring you on to talk about Africa, but we can't pretend that we're not part of an international community. And for years, people actually, they needed to know, like, what? how do the British feel about this? How do the French feel about this? How do the Americans feel about this? And if you think about those three countries, you've got Joe Biden, who doesn't know whether he's a teapot or a hockey stick in America. He's, they basically wheel him out, and then his wife kind of positions him facing the audience instead of with his back to them. Then he kind of looks like, you know, like those old age home guys who, you know, they're, they're, they're waiting for their pudding or whatever. And he stands there and he kind of looks and he goes, hi, everybody. And he, he whispers to them at the wrong time and he sounds creepy at the wrong time. Then he shouts, he's angry. He's a very, very, very uh, unhappy and disturbed man. This is America's president. Then we've got Liz Truss, who I don't think the average person in Britain could even pick out of a lineup. And, Emmanuel Macron, who, I mean, I don't think he said anything useful for at least a few months. Uh, And certainly he he and most of the European leaders are finding themselves between a rock and a hard place with this Russia-Ukraine situation and a very cold winter on the horizon. Well, you know, I I get the sense that really the the big players have left politics. You look at, uh, is Liz Trust the best that Britain can find? Did you see the... (laughs) Statistics of the people that uh, that elected her: ninety what ninety seven percent white, seventy one percent male, sixty one percent over fifty five. It was zero well, comma zero four percent of the electorate. You know, so but, I mean, but, what, but what maybe they but maybe they're the only people who were actually disciplined enough to wake up and go and vote. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like people are so nonchalant and so non participatory. In, in democracy. You see this happening in America too. I, I heard someone say the other day that if you want to avoid <clears throat> people at university shouting at you for opinions that they don't like, just make the lecture at 7.30 because most of them won't arrive on time for it. And then you can actually have your say and leave. And I wonder about young people in Britain. I don't think any of them give a damn about politics anymore. They feel it's such a distant thing. And maybe that's also true here. You know, we've got Massive voter apathy in South Africa and even in Africa. 
despite the fact that so many people have only had the franchise for, you know, 20 something years. Yeah. And, and having the franchise is one thing and even exercising that every five years is another thing. But, you know, what do you do with the people you put there? So if yeah. you don't really care, uh, then you, you've got to live with this, what is there. And if you don't make proper decisions about who to put there, yeah. you've got to live with those consequences too, as we see, uh, you know, in, in, in what is happening here. I mean, our first story today, for example, involves the Kenyan elections. Right. The courts have had things to say about the last three of them. This time round, they have uh, uh, upheld the, the win by William Ruto and uh, rejected with some contempt the claims of cheating and fraud by uh, Rilo Odinga. Now we wait to see, you know, what is going to happen next. Rilo Odinga five times has lost the presidency, fought and lost it. What are his supporters going to do? But interestingly, the Chief Justice Martha Kuhn is uh, a, a woman Chief Justice in Kenya. She called him what what Rilo Odinga came with as double hearsay, no more than hot air or wild goose chase. And she's spoken about forgeries of the claims that he's made and reminded people that uh, swearing falsehoods or swearing to falsehoods is a criminal offense. So this yeah. country, which is technically, economically, well, economically hard to say, but, uh, you know, one of the leaders in Africa is uh, still bouncing around on the top of a balloon. They don't know what's happening. It's very, very sad. But, you know, we spoke about England. Would you, would, 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 who'd want to take Liz Truss's job? Well, who'd want no, to take, exactly. uh, William Ruta's job where they have, uh, they're drowning in billions of dollars of debt yeah. and, uh, the rising or soaring food costs and fuel prices. So, uh, you know, I, maybe that's the thing. The cool guys and cool girls don't want to go into politics anymore for good reason. You know, the other guys have ruined it so much. You yeah. go in there and, uh, and, uh, you, you, you fix up a mess for half of your term in office. That's what happened to Barack yeah. Obama, for example. Well, you know, a lot of these politicians are just being shown up also for the kind of really, really superficial, sometimes quite vacuous people that they are. They're really just looking for a way to make money really quickly. And in, in Africa, we seem to have quite a lot of that going on. So what is going to happen in Kenya? I mean, all of this sounds extremely confusing. Do they have a government or are we going to be fighting about the election results for another three months? Well, they have a government. And uh, if Rilo Odinga is smart now and steps back and says, okay, you know, I don't like it, but you've, you've made this decision because mm -hmm. the previous decision, they overturned the election. Remember 2017, they had to have it again. This time that's not going to happen, which is very costly and paralyzing for a country. So, uh, our hope is that Kenya starts to, it's got an enormous job, uh, uh, William Ruto has to pick the country up out of the right. mess it's in and he must be left to do it. And uh, well, the other Africans have congratulated him. Uh, let's give him some space to do it. All right. Let's turn our attention to Morocco because they've just announced a French Algerian Tunisian alliance, which is designed to prolong the Western Sahara conflict. We know about the people there. And we know how long they've been fighting for their independence. We also know that um, they're going to take on Nigeria, Angola, South Africa, and Mozambique that also recognize that, um, that they are an African Union founding member. Again, this all looks so amateurish, doesn't it? It seems to me that you know a country like the Western Sahara 
um, which which most most countries in Africa seem to have accepted, doesn't suit their immediate neighbors. And we're now not sure whether or not these people actually are allowed to have a sovereign state. Um, these are basic, basic concepts. It's very uh, Keystone Cops. It's very like uh, Bozo the Clownish. I call Morocco the new African bully. It took that role from its good mate, the uh, apartheid regime. Right. And, you know, I, I spent most of my career covering the machinations of that regime and the capacity they had to shoot themselves in the foot was yeah. quite astounding. You know, if they got a gun, they would shoot themselves in the foot with it and no matter what they needed to do. And that, I mean, that's what brought them down at the end of the day. And Morocco is exactly like that. What happens is they have TICAD, the Tokyo International Conference on African Development, a very, very important development uh, conference. It gave, it's given, promised 30 billion to Africa. The, the, it was hosted this time in Tunisia. And as a member of the African Union, Ibrahim Ghali, the Western Sahara president, is invited and received at the airport by Kai Said, the pr- Tunisian president. Well, Morocco goes spare. The thing is, Morocco is an illegal occupation of Western Sahara. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it suddenly said, um, we're not going to do any business with people who don't recognize that we actually have sovereignty over Western Sahara, which nobody recognizes, certainly not the International Court of Justice. And so they withdrew their ambassador in Tunisia. But it's a small country next to them. And right. uh, Tunisia actually maintains that it's uh, it, it hasn't taken sides on Western Sahara. But this was a Tokyo conference, Tokyo called conference, and they had to receive all the leaders. Then they they start to bully Tunisia. They've got a, an, a boycott, sport boycott, an economic mm-hmm. boycott. The fact is Morocco has fallen out with everyone, including France, which was its major backer. You know, last year, of course, the Moroccans were found to be bugging Emmanuel Macron's telephone. If uh, we believe what you were saying about Emmanuel <laughs> Macron, they wouldn't have got good information no, from it. But asleep. there they were, bugging his telephone. Unreal. And Morocco wouldn't dare, wouldn't dare in a, in a month of Sundays take on Angola or take on Nigeria or take on South Africa, who've all received Brahim Ghali as a, a head of state. Hmm. I think South Africa is going to do it again one of these days. Uh, um, so, you know, they, they wouldn't dare do that, but they take on small Tunisia next to them. And now they're talking, the latest one, every day they're coming up with something new about an Algeria-France-Tunisia alliance to prolong the uh, fighting in the Western Sahara or the conflict there. Well, there was a full-on war, and that ended when Morocco promised to hold a referendum of the Sahrawi people on who they want to govern them. Mm. And when it became that, well, it was absolutely clear even then that the Sahrawi would say, we want independence. Morocco went and said, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, wait, wait. We, we weren't thinking. We'll start again. And they've been playing this game now for more than 40 years. So, uh, you know, they are the, ex- the African bullies at this time. And uh, sadly, Spain has been bullied into into uh, recognizing their claims on Western Sahara. Uh, Donald Trump did it because... Uh, he thought, uh, you know, he, he as a part, they would support his uh, moves on Israel. Well, uh, that's made uh, Morocco friends with Israel and given them access to Israeli uh, technology that allowed mm. them to, to do the bugging of Macron's telephone. So, uh, you know, but that is the mess up so, north, right on the fringe 
of, of Africa with, with the Mediterranean, which should be one of our most prosperous areas, using its communal muscle to get the best deals, trade deals with uh, uh, Europe, and we're not doing that. So, JJ, kind of in reference to the conversation that Lebang and I were having before, why should we care about this? They're, they're miles away. They're, you know, we're closer to, oh, to China in terms of our relationship than we are to Morocco. Why should we care about what's happening in the far extreme corner of Africa post the, you know, you have to travel across the Sahara to even get there. Why should we care here in South Africa? Well, because it's part of our continent and we Africans do care intensely about what's happening on our continent and Morocco, as it happens, turns out to be the last remaining colonial power having illegally occupied the Western Sahara in Africa. And that has to be changed. That has to be moved now. Mm. And uh, so, we, you know, if we want this continent to work and we like the idea, you know, we are a gateway to Africa. Uh, countries trade with us or uh, enhance relations with us in order to get to uh, this potential yeah. market of Africa then we, you know, we, we play a leadership role there. It's one of those things. We have that footprint. Whether we like it or not, we are leaders in Africa. So we can't say, oh, oh what is uh, uh, the president doing in, uh, you know, Equatorial Guinea? He's there for a reason. And uh, we, when we play a role in the African Union, we, we were a little bit modest at the beginning, but we're now playing a more muscular role in the African Union. It's very important because, as I say, we are leaders in Africa, whether we like it or not. Well, okay. I mean, I just think that even the African Union is something most South Africans could care less about. If you put it on the ballot, if it was one of the things we voted on in this country, I wonder if you'd even get the kind of turnout that Liz Truss got to elect her as prime minister in this country. I don't think most people in South Africa even care about the African Union. I, I think most people around the world don't really care about multilateral <laughs> diplomacy, multilateral affairs, which happen to be one of my great passions. But the point is, you know, and I'm, and I'm saying something that, you know, will make me look a little bit uh, weak at the knees, but things like the African Union, things like the United Nations, and people mm. love to slag off the United Nations, they are there for a reason. And I say it is better to have them than not to have them, because not to have them you know, uh, uh, allows for a kind of an absolute miasma. The thing is, the African Union uh, is certainly better than the organization of African unity, but it's filled with faults, and we have to fix that too. But yes, uh, the, in any election anywhere in the world, if you put up foreign policy right. and certainly multilateral policy, uh, it, it, it's not a vote winner. Just one last quick thing, uh, JJ, because I don't want to leave this out, but Mali and Burkina Faso, um, obviously their coup leaders have met as their countries have paid an increasingly high price for the putsch's failure to quell the jihadi attacks in that part of the world. These are two other unstable countries with unstable governments and essentially uh, military juntas, right? I mean, that's what's going on there. Well, the military came in and, and with some support from the civilians because the civilian governments could not contain the jihadis that in Mali in, uh, last, last year and in, uh, uh, Burkina Faso this year. And, uh, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, uh Damiba and uh, Colonel Gweka from, uh, Burkina Faso and Mali respectively met in Bamako to talk about trying to make things work because right now the, the reasons for their coups are, are, are made nonsense by the uh, figures. They, were, they had uh, uh, 35 Burkinabi killed at the weekend, 
when the army were handing out supplies to in areas where they where the which were inaccessible because of jihadi attacks. Mm. There have been 60 Malians killed just in the last week uh, by uh, by this Russian mercenary group, the Wagner Group, that the Malians have brought in. So effectively, they came in, the military said, we've got to take over too because the, the civilian governments just can't do the job. And the, the army, the two military juntas, are doing a worse job. There's a report out that hundreds of people, civilians, have been killed by the Wagner group. I don't know why the Malawians decided, the Malians decided to bring in this group which fights in Syria, Ukraine, and has been operating in the CAR, Central African Republic and Libya. But uh, they, they have been, they are actually sort of uniformed criminals uh, doing terrible things. So, you know, there's got to be another solution found for these two countries in the Sahel which have been victims of jihadi violence and the military option uh, certainly hasn't been the one that has brought relief. JJ, as always, thank you for your insights. It's very good for us to connect on these matters, and I love hearing your point of view on all of them because you, as I said earlier, have uh, such a, a, a connection to people in those countries. You've been there in many cases yourself. You know a hell of a lot more than, than us, and we could get to live vicariously through you and understand a little yeah. bit better what's going on. It's great to see you, JJ, and thank you very much for joining us this morning. Lovely being with you. Thank you. That's JJ Cornish and African Analysis, which has been brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. Cliffcentral.com.